It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to uh, AusBiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon. As usual, with the call, 10 stocks suggested by you, plus a stock of the day, and I put them to an expert panel. And one of my favourite panels today, Andrew Page from Strawman joins us. Andrew, how are you, sir? I'm very good. Koshi, how are you? Good. And Michael Wayne from Adanium Financial. Michael, good to have you aboard. Yeah, the That's band good. back together in the studio. In the studio. How exciting. <laughs> Warm bodies in the studio. It's making me feel nervous. <laughs> I actually went out to a lunch yesterday. Oh. A business lunch. And I put my suit and tie on. And I, was, I felt like a grown-up again. <laughs> All right, let's get straight into it. And, um, Andrew, this is one you suggested for our stock of the day. It's a really good one. Uh, Pushpay. Mm. Uh, the New Zealand-based tech stocks has put out its first half results today. Uh, running the ruler over the numbers. Net profit for the period surge to just over 19 million US dollars. Yes, this is a tech stock that makes a profit, uh, up from 5.7 million a year earlier. Operating revenues also higher. Um, shares, though, have taken an absolute whack today as the company flagged it experienced lower than expected total procession volume growth in the first quarter. Procession volume growth, um, which uh, um, they're a... Um, a platform where you can donate in churches. So procession growth. Processing volume. Processing, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking more a funeral procession. Uh, a wedding <laughs> well, maybe maybe appropriate. Uh, in a church, yeah. Also weighing in uh, on investor sentiment, a downgrade to guidance now, expecting earnings to be in the range of 62 to 67 million trimmed from the 66 to 71 million previously forecast. Um, Andrew, what do you think of the result? And push pay as a stock. I'm finding it a bit hard to sit down because the backside's taken a bit of a beating this morning. <laughs> it's, it was down 20% at one stage, yeah. which is just a, a huge fall. And, you know, it's sort of reco- recovered to just 15%. It's, it's such a massive move. Um, so, look, as you've said there, some of the headline numbers are, are pretty good. It's, yeah. it's one of those companies, whenever you look at their presentation, you see a lot of these very nice uh, upward uh, staircase kind of graphs where they've just sort of they've done very well for a yep. long time lots of good consistent uh, sales growth it's a business that's scaled really nicely as well like it's operating margins like 50, 59% uh, not too long ago now 69% so they're doing really well there um, the revenue <coughs> retention and operating margin of 69% yes yes uh, sorry gross, that... gross margin sorry I should say gross margin mm. of 69% still pretty um, good it's, and it's, it's just a good sign of, of, of how it's sort of scaling pretty effective and a net profit up 43%, operating cash flows up 14%. The, um, they've onboarded a bunch of new clients. Um, so it's it's done really well. But then why this? So on, on one hand, no one likes to see the guidance being reduced. Yep. 
Um, but put that in context, at the midpoint, that was a 6% reduction in guidance, um, partly as a result of this big investment they're making into the Catholic space. So they've traditionally focused more on the evangelical space. Yep. Catholic space, it's like one in four uh, Americans uh, uh, claim to be Catholic. It's $30 billion in, in giving throughout the year there. Um, and this is really underserved. So it's, it's definitely within their wheelhouse. The question is as to whether how much success they have there. So there's an, there's an investment that's being made there that's dampening um, the results. They also, which was interesting, made some comment on their um, struggles they're having with attracting technology talent, which is a theme that you're seeing a lot lately. Yep. Uh, it's a great time to be a developer because you can basically you know, name your price and name the company you want to work for, it seems. But that's, that's probably um, uh, got the market a little bit worried as well. I'm a, so disclosure, I'm a big holder in there. I have been since on 70 cents, obviously on a split-adjusted basis. Right, I just put that you, in to make me sound like less than an idiot. And you wrote it up to the 870. Mm -hmm. and yeah, well, it had, it had a four-for-one share split in there <laughs> right, as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of, yeah. there's all of that. But, um, you know, it's, it's a P on a forward basis. We were just talking before the show, depending on what you want to say, somewhere between 30 and 40 there for a business that's got a long way to run. It's got good traction. That top line growth of 9% was okay probably not as strong as you would you would like to see oh. it um, so it's a question of is there something really fundamentally wrong with the business here or was it a question with the market perhaps having a bit bit of uh, a higher expectation and maybe a bit of a panic reaction I'm perhaps in the latter camp on this one here I still think the the thesis is pretty much uh, intact I think you've now got an opportunity to buy it at a, at a more attractive price um, yeah, uh, but it's it's hard to say, it's it's always no, hard to sort on, of say that when on. when you know the market sort of okay, screaming you're an idiot. Uh, but. No, no, no. But market said this about Domino's last week. Yeah, uh, it was down twenty percent. A lot of the smart money said Domino's good business, twenty percent pullback. Okay, uh, let's take advantage of that. Yeah. Do you do the same with uh, with pushback? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So I buy it. These it's days. a buy it for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, for a bit of description of Push Bay, it's basically a CRM for churches, is it? Mm -hmm. It allows you as a parishioner to donate through the platform, but for the churches, it also gives them analysis of their, their customers and parishioners, and they're and able to help put out engagement yeah, EDMs like and do marketing towards them. Yep. Yeah. So, and it's a New Zealand tech business. Mm. New Zealand tech business, um, one of the original investors was the Hulwich family, who's a wealthy New Zealand family. They recently sold down, I think, their entire chunk even. So that's been a bit of a weight on the share price for some yep. time. The most recent update from, say, six months ago, it must have been, the company flagged that they hadn't really seen much growth in new customers. And that was probably the first sort of scare for the company. But I thought this report, looking at the headline numbers, they managed to arrest that negativity and we saw a good jump in new customer numbers. 29% yeah, 29% margins have ticked up again. Um, you look at sort of earnings and you look at revenue, all those numbers are not bad for a company like this. And it continues to have a huge market which remains untapped. So it's a business that we've liked for some time, um, maybe not as early as Andrew, but most clients are, are in an okay position as we stand. Some are actually a little bit in negative position, but it's one that we're willing to 
stay the course on, um, mm. I think for now. Um, if it did continue to fall away, we would look to, to sort of get rid of it because we have had some clients look to exit just because of the momentum in the underlying business seems to have slowed a little bit from where it was a couple of years ago. But yeah. still a high quality business. Now that that overhang of a major investor selling, um, I do think that in time this business can get okay. it right and the momentum can turn upwards. So a hold for you? But it's a hold for me. I'm not going to rush in now let this sort of volatility play out. Um, it is on a long-term support line. Looking at the charts, it's come back basically to the low what it got to last time and updated the market and was received negatively. So looking at the growth numbers, um, looking at the industry it's in tech and the multiple it's on, um, I think it's a relatively attractive proposition compared to a lot of things out there. Okay. And just a very quick clarification, the chart that we had on screen before was yeah. not split adjusted. So right. any chartists looking at that yeah. at home, yeah, yeah, please yeah. bear in mind that it's, it's that not big as, drop was the, yeah, the they, shares. You got four shares for every one. One, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Ben wants a view on Ray's, talking about companies that have uh, dropped recently. This is the uh, financial services micro-investing uh, platform uh, here in Australia. Ben says there's been some board issues that I believe are now resolved. Um, there's sort of to some shareholders wanting board members to go off. And there's a bit of a battle there. Uh, share price is now three months low. Is it a buy for long-term gain, Michael? Um, it's an interesting concept, I think, all these um, businesses which are emerging in the sort of the micro-investing space, if you, if you like. Um, I think the big one in the US is called Acorns. Yep. Uh, so essentially, if you go and you buy a coffee for for two ninety five, it rounds up that purchase to three dollars. Did Acorn start here? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Of it out here. Anyhow, yeah, yeah. There's, but there's a few of these sorts of investment yes. platforms popping up, and they've done well in accumulating some decent funds under management, pushing that $1 billion mark. Um, obviously, the fees are very, very low on these sorts of uh, investments, which does attract people into them. They do also have a number of other um, more standardised investment platforms, such as in the superannuation space, you know, like a balanced fund, aggressive, ultra-aggressive. I think they might have six or, or even eight different investment portfolios. Um, the problem is when your fees are so low, the margins can be very, very low. So you need to have very good technology. And there's a lot of reinvestment, I think, going in all the time in improving that technology. But it's definitely uh, piqued the interest of the younger generations and, and the younger cohorts, which I think from a long-term perspective could be very, very good. But look, from my standpoint, the business isn't really profitable at the moment. It's really in its infancy. Um, so for mine, it's still a fairly high-risk proposition and open to a fair bit of competition as well, I would imagine. Yep. And yeah, I actually like the concept. When I looked at it a bit closer, I thought that there'd probably be some pretty egregious fees in there, but they're not They're not too bad. Uh, and it reminds me in the old days when we were more cash-based, so you'd sort of, at the end of the day, particularly a male... You'd a jar. You'd just chuck your <laughs> yeah. change in the jar. And yep. it's kind of like that, except now they're going to invest it in an ETF for you. Yeah. Which is really cool. And and, and the, the costs are, are, as I say, pretty reasonable. Um, so I, I like it for that. They've had a lot of success in a lot of ways. I mean, the customer growth has been 45% compound yeah. since 2017. Last year, on the most recent report over the last 
12 months that customers jumped up 85 percent there's an acquisition in that as well though but it's it's a very nice one they've just crossed the positive operating cash flow threshold for two months in a row 19 million dollars in cash so you look at it and on one hand it's kind of like well it's it's nine times sales but it is growing very fast they're going to hit this one billion dollar funds under management target earlier than they expected so that's all really good Um, a couple of things to be mindful of though there are other players out there and so what really matters here is your client acquisition costs so i had a quick look at their most recent quarterly um, the, one of their largest expenses is advertising and marketing, more than they spend on staff. And they have to because there are all these other applications around here. So the worry is is that are you, are you potentially um, acquiring a lot of customers unprofitably or at, at marginal profitability? That, that would be the thing to sort of look into. Uh, it's also, of course, these um, funds under management in which they, they sort of get a bit of a fee on for balances over a certain amount. Um, that, that can... That can be hit too if the market comes back a little bit if people extract their money in a downturn um, they are moving into or have moved into Indonesia and Malaysia oh, as yeah. well with mm-hmm. some success too they're still a distance from being break even so I don't I don't hate this business by any stretch um, but but uh, yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see some profitability come through. I'd like to see them scale uh, pretty effectively. But this is this is one to watch. It, it does reasonably well on on strawman, and and I can see why. There's they seem to be kicking goals. Okay, a hold hold for you. All right, um, now company I hadn't heard about. Darrow uh, Darrow wants a view on EcoGraph um, from Cairns. Welcome aboard, Darrow. Any chance of a review on it? I've been following this one for a year or so and quite like the narrative, it's just announced a patent on its technology for recycling car batteries. Mm. I own some, I'm thinking of picking up a few more. Love to hear your thoughts on it. And um, it's batteries for in electric vehicles as well. Very, very much a sexy space yes. at this point in time. They do the graphite which component. I, which is why I thought I would have heard about it. Because yeah, <laughs> so, so it's, well, it's not the lithium part it's the graphite, graphite uh, part yeah. of it as well and these guys seem to have uh, technology that allows them to do it in a very environmentally friendly way which is which is nice as well so it's one of these companies I think I had a quick it's very hard to analyze because there's no sales yet right. uh, let alone earnings right. um, uh, they've invested 30 million into this technology they look as though they're getting closer to getting a bunch of uh, that hasn't stopped lithium or electric vehicle type stocks in the past. It hasn't. It hasn't. <laughs> no revenue, no nothing. Yes, yes. <laughs> and still goes Sometimes it's better to have nothing yeah. there because then you can't really make a comparison. Um, and when I when I first, uh, the producer sent it through, I kind of expected this to be a $20 million micro cap or something. Oh. It's a quarter of a billion dollar mic- uh, market oh, wow. cap there. So it's, it seems, unless I'm reading it wrong, but I think I think that's, well, at least according to ComSeg. Um, so it's just really, really hard. They seem to have a lot of cash in the bank. They're building this big plant over in WA. Uh, so so Daryl's right. Uh, it's a good story. It's in a good area. The technology looks interesting. But, but you know, ultimately, you need to justify that price. And, and how do you do How do you guess at what they're going to be making yeah. uh, at the top line, let alone the bottom line? I dare say, even though they are well cashed out, once they start doing some big capital investments and stuff in this factory and building it out, that's going to weaken that cash balance a lot. And even, even the best stories like this that actually do deliver on some of the hype... It's always longer than you think. So if you if you're going to if you if you like the story, this isn't something to hold for a year or two because it'll take.
take years and years and yeah. years to really co effectively commercialize this and to become a profitable company. So definitely interesting, um, but way too early stage for me. Okay. Um, look, it's definitely got all the buzzwords ticked, um, clean energy, e-mobility. Yeah. Um, this company is definitely flavor of the month or certainly the sector and the area it operates in. Uh, vertically integrated always sounds amazing in theory. Um, but you've got to be able to pull it off and be very good at each of those layers of the vertical integration. So you need to be a decent you know, miner, you need to be a decent recycler, you've got to be a good administrator and run a factory quite well. So they've got this new process plant um, being built, still in the pipeline. Once that comes online, I think you'll get a lot more clarity as to how this business is operating um, and how profitable it can be or how much revenue it can generate, what its margins will look like. And up until that point, um, I think it's quite a high risk proposition. Um, obviously, they've got to build the thing on time, on budget. They've then got to operate it in a manner which is efficient. Um, and this stuff can often have teething problems and take years to get fully efficient. So for that reason, very high risk. The share price has had a big run up in the last 12 months. Yep. So I'll wait now to see see them put the runs on the board and just see them operate um, as they would hope to. So okay. it's, it's a, right. a sell for mine. Okay. Um, Jason wants to view Michael on uh, the beta shares Nasdaq 100 ETF. Um, tracks the, the Nasdaq tech index in the US. Yeah, a pretty simple, broad exposure um, for the investor who wants to be hands off um, and not put too much time in their investing. This is a perfect way to get exposure to the largest tech indices in the US. Um, if you'd invested in this five or ten years ago, you would have done incredibly well. But you've got to be comfortable knowing that you're investing primarily in things like the FANGs, which is Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, Meta, Meta, um, <laughs> all those types of big uh, US tech companies. And many people would suggest, and, and I'm potentially one of them as well, that the best run that these companies have had are potentially behind them on a relative scale. You look at the the multiples these high growth companies trade on relative to value companies. You look at the performance of some of these tech names as they grow and become more mature. I think it's going to be harder and harder for them to continue to grow at the same rates. Just as a general, obviously some of them will be able to, some of them won't be able to. But it's a very easy way to get tech exposure. And if you hold this for 10, 20 years, I think more likely than not, you'll, can be, you'll look back and be very happy with the outcome. Okay. Um, I would rather wait for a sizable pullback or correction yeah. in markets of 10, 20% yeah. before picking something like this up. Uh, but it's a, a hold. I'm a, a, a hold. Big tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I think I'm not calling, oh, it would have been stupid to call peak tech at any point really in recent history, but I think we are getting to a point where it's becoming harder and harder for these names to yeah. continue to deliver. So on any big market correction like we had around COVID last year, for instance, that's the perfect time, I think, to pick up these passive mm. generic ETFs. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I actually, so disclosure, I own this. I've had it for years. Um, so I'm very much a stock picker, but I, I tend to hunt in the ASX small cap area, but I don't want to miss out on a lot of these big tech names. Yeah. And so we it's just use easy. it for clients uh, left, right and centre. Like a lot of clients hold this for some international stuff. It's just easy. I've got a lot of my super in it. And and um, I, it's just one of those ones I just dribble into. I think that's the, that's the strategy for ETFs as a long-term investor. Broad-based exposure, you'll, you'll roll with the punches. You know, you'll have good times and bad. Michael absolutely right or any big pullback there's there's a good opportunity that, that is there but you know it gives me exposure to Tesla and Apple and Facebook and Alphabet Netflix and video all these great companies 
and um, I'm, I'm happy to. So it's a really, it's a really easy one. Up 30% last year alone, uh, and as you can see there, it's done 3x over the last five years. Um, you know, look, look at. Uh, Look at some of those pullbacks. They kind of would have been scary at the time, but seem a little laughable now. <laughs> Which is the story of yeah, long-term yeah, investing exactly. in an index. Really, that's that's the story. You, yeah. You'll you'll likely do pretty well over time. So it's very well. I own it, so I'm going to have to say buy. Buy. Yeah, and do it as a gradual basis. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Brett wants a view in Ju- on Judo Bank, the, uh, the small business listed bank, started as a, a fintech, only listed um, not so long ago, only about a month or so. In fact, November 1, was it? Uh, really recently. Think, yeah, yeah. Three or four weeks. Uh, Brett says, uh, should we be more generous and consider it might be the SME leader of the future and call it a Macquarie Light? Whoa. Brett, that's a big tag to put on it. <laughs> Macquarie Light, Macquarie. So is it a bank or is it sort of a private equity <laughs> uh, firm masquerading as, uh, masquerading as a bank? But uh, Andrew Judo Bank, um, the founders are terrific. Mm. Um, I know them pretty well and they've done a great job getting it to where it is. Well, I, I wasn't familiar with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a quick flick through the prospectus. It's a 200-page document, so I'm, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert at it. But there's a couple of things that's interesting about it. They've definitely focused very deliberately on this SME sector, and the major yep. banks have moved away from that. It's higher risk. It's definitely higher risk um, as a space, but it's also tends to be more profitable as well. So the skill here is in, in being a responsible lender in this space and making sure that you've covered your risks and all of that appropriately. So you, you wanna make sure that they're doing it well. Another thing that's really interesting too is unlike a lot of the big banks, they don't have all these like legacy systems from the 90s and that that are sort of like band-aided together. These are sort of purpose-built platform that they've got there, which hopefully gives them a bit of um, an efficiency uh, bonus, uh, which is there as well. Um, if you're after dividends, it's not something to go for like you know obviously major banks is is what you think of um these guys have said that not for the foreseeable future we're going to reinvest that the 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 loan book has just grown astronomically it's expert expert hockey stick i mean they've only started what in 20 i think the the company sort of was conceived of in 2016 and started getting serious around 2018 or so they got three and a half billion dollar loan book now uh, as well so they seem to be doing a lot of things right um be aware that you know, banking can be really profitable, really, really attractive, but it can also be very, very cyclical uh, as well. And for me, it's just, it's it's very hard to sort of say buy only because I haven't done the due diligence and there's not a lot of water under the bridge here to really see um, uh, how they're going. But. But it does look interesting. So for that, for me, it's on it's on a watch list. Yep. Um, but I, I wouldn't be buying at this stage just just because I need to see a little bit more more yep. runs on the board. Okay. First bank to list on the market in 30 years here in Australia. Yeah. Oh wow. It was a bit momentous. It was doing the rounds, and we got the sort of access to the IPO. We had a bit of a quick look at it, but never went ahead with it. But it's. Definitely um, a new age, modern type bank, and it's really filling a void left by the big four banks. Um, Big four banks have really pulled away from anything other than mortgages, let's face it, and they've left institutional lending behind. In many cases, small, medium-sized businesses will struggle to get a loan uh, in, in a lot of cases. So Judo, through their platform and their background checks, are able to run through their systems um, data pretty quickly and come back to businesses and offer a, an amount. It's um, a, one of those platforms that um, 
you let them have your logins for your yeah. MYOB or zero, and their algorithm goes That's through right. all the financial data of the small business and and gives you a decision in sort of within hours or, or yeah. a day on whether you qualify for a loan. And the big banks either say no or... Just drag it out. Or drag months. it out, <laughs> which is really frustrating. So it is definitely um, an, an, an improvement and a good option for small, medium-sized businesses out there. As an yep. investment, though, like Andrew says, these businesses are very cyclical um, because they don't have the support structures of the, the traditional banks during times of stress. They might struggle to get access to funding markets, etc. You've um, also got to be cautious in a rising interest rate environment. I mean, the other day is the big four banks came out and lifted fixed home loans by half a percent in a day. Um, so that can catch a lot of people off guard, particularly in businesses. But I just think it's a, a good quality banking tech stock, but I just don't see it having the long-term potential of other businesses in other areas. Okay. So All right. it just, it's just um, a bit too sick no for you. All right. Uh, Shahana wants to view um, Michael on Hub24. Uh, said, love the show. Can I get the expert's view on it? Number one player in the sector reported a record profit, plans to expand uh, its business by adding more clients with the acquisition of class. Um, currently hold a small position with the recent pullback. Is it time to buy for the long term? Uh, how does it compare to net wealth? Now Hub24 is a bit like net wealth as well, that it's um, um, an administration platform for superannuation wealth managers, financial planners. That's right. So it's a very easy to use platform where you go on and you can pick whatever funds you want. You can pick international shares, domestic shares, and then you get a nice beautiful report at the end of the year telling you how you've done and your transactions yeah. for the tax. So there's been a lot of these platforms emerge in recent years, uh, net wealth being one, premium is, is very is similar but slightly different, Hub24, they're probably the three mainstays because historically what would happen is a lot of the large financial planning firms like an AMP or IOOF or even Macquarie or BT, MLC, they would always have their own internal platforms um, that they ran themselves and developed themselves. But over time, technology evolved um, and these independent uh, platform providers hit the market, really sort of putting those other legacy type platforms in the background. Um, and especially now after the Royal Commission, you're seeing more and more planners moving away from the larger entities into more independent firms. And they obviously want a similar sort of reporting platform to what they had in the past. So Hub24 Net Wealth have yeah. filled the void and done very, very well. Um, the problem that I see with the space is that it's kind of a race to the bottom in many ways to drop your fees to bring in customers. Um, so far, they've still been able to maintain margins pretty well, but but there is a little bit of pressure on them. Um, Hub24 relative to net wealth. Net wealth seems to have a better balance sheet, higher return on equity, better growth numbers, more consistent. Um, Hub24 seems to be more in that growth stage where they're quite acquisitive, as you can see with this acquisition of class. Um, the class acquisition on 15 times um, uh, EBITDA seems to be a little bit expensive, but if they can pull it off, it should be EPS accretive for them, even at that multiple. So you'll have to wait and see how they integrate right. that and let that play out. Our preference has been premium. We have clients in premium, yeah. and that's okay. been pretty good performer as well. But all three of those have been decent performers in recent times. So 
Would you buy Hub 24? I wouldn't buy Hub 24, no. no. I would be uh, tempted to, to still sell and, and go with something else, premium or net wealth even. Oh, so you prefer net wealth over Yeah, I think net, net wealth has no. the runs on the board. It's a lower risk proposition, but they're more grinding it out year after year, ticking over quite right. nicely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Michael's covered it beautifully, so I won't have much uh, else to say. I mean, they all had a great year uh, yeah. recently, just like knocking it out of the park. The class shareholders are very thankful, I think, of that takeover because they've sort of been long-suffering in a lot of ways. Um, they get one share in Hub for every, ele- for every 11 they get, and, and 10 cents as well, so 274 or so per share on, at the current um, market prices. Combined, the business is going to have $160 million in revenue. So I think uh, it's hard to, I, I didn't have time to do the proper pro rata calculations, but it puts it on a price to sales. I think, well, it's more than 10 or so. So it's sort of priced uh-huh. for a bit of growth there. Um, and a PE just seems really, uh, really high. It's like up to 100. So maybe there's some accounting adjustments there that I'm not factoring in. Um, but yeah, interesting business. I'd be just wary, as Michael says, of extrapolating some of that recent growth forward. It, it, they did; they were great beneficiaries of the Hain Royal Commission. They stole a lot of those sort of yeah. uh, customers and the rest of it. But uh, you know, is that is and that when a, AMP imploded? Yes, uh, or the long going implosion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a disaster! My favourite whipping boy on the ASX is AMP. <laughs> just a horrible stock. Um, so, so like, look, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't say sell. I think if you've you, you've got it, it, it looks pretty pretty decent just just uh, it, it just I'm a little bit mindful of that valuation someone can write in and tell me if there's some devil in the detail that I'm missing there right. uh, but at this stage yeah not, not a buy for me so uh, hold let's hold go hold yeah. yeah all right just to recap the uh, the first five stocks are now stock of the day push pay um, a yes from uh, from Andrew a hold from Michael uh, raises a hold from Andrew a no from uh, Michael um, ecograph too early for Andrew um, also for uh, for Michael, who'd say, sell it, take the price that, that you're at at the moment. Uh, the beta NASDAQ ETF, um, uh, Andrew's in it and keeps dribbling a bit more into it. Good exposure to those tech stocks overseas. That's a way you should look at it, just buy into it on a regular basis. Um, Andrew, uh, Michael is a no. Uh, Judo, a watch from both, bit too early. And uh, Hub24, a sell from um, from Michael and a hold from Andrew. Uh, Michael prefers net wealth and premium in that space. Um, here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Naptrade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up uh, from our expert panels goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again and doesn't get unanimous agreement to buy or to hold, it goes out. Hub24 is in the portfolio, so it now goes out. Um, Let's take a look at how we're doing for the week up 2%, the month 4%, almost 10% since the 1st of July this year. Uh, since inception, 1st of July last year, up 48%. Some of the stocks recently added, uh, Rhythm Biosciences, MedAdvisor, Seven West Media, Smart Parking and the Vanguard US Total Market Shares Index ETF. Some of the stocks removed, James Hardy, Core Lithium, A2 Milk, Crown and now Hub24. You can check out all of the stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we track it each day. Uh, Anthony wants a view, Andrew, on Shine Justice. You probably see them on TV or radio, sort of contact Shine Lawyers if you've got a compensation claim against, you know, the local shopping centre or your employer. Uh, They're a litigator, 
um, in Queensland, Victoria, West Australia, New South Wales, and also uh, New Zealand. Uh, what do you think of Shine? Yeah, um, so look, it does tend to be a bit of a lumpy performer. I guess, you know, it depends on what class actions are settling and whether it's settling in your favour, what work you have in the pipeline. But recently, it, it seems to have done pretty well. Um, so earnings uh, up 27% odd since 2019 or so. Uh, they had a big win recently with a class action over mesh implants that looks as it's gone in their favour. They're guiding for low double-digit um, operating profit growth in the current year. They're moving into adjacent areas, so not outside of just the pure focus on personal injury, uh, so into other family law and other places like that. It seems cheap. It seems cheap. The P is like 10 and the yield is 3.5%. But there's always, uh, you know, again, that lumpiness is something you have to factor in. A very nice, uh, very strong year for them, some good wins. Again, dangerous to extrapolate that forward. It's not a SaaS business where you're going to see very consistent uh, earnings growth. So, um, I probably because they they usually only get paid on the outcome, yes, don't they? Yes. And that's why it's so lumpy. They might have twenty five cases, but five of them might come to conclusion that's where they make their money and the other 20 don't. And they can run for a long time. Yes. And they, yeah. you know, a lot of high paid lawyers you've got to sort of pay in, and uh, also, in the meantime. wasn't there federal government legislation coming through that they were going to put a cap on how much on litigators fees ah. uh, their share of the payout which I think they're all fighting okay. but it was proposed by um, Senator Hume and and the treasurer. I oh, I, I, I missed that one. That, yeah, yeah, that sounds. Of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, you could probably argue we're, we're becoming a more litigious society yeah. as well. Um, so that's probably a bit of a tailwind uh, for them. They've got a very good recognised brand. So look, it's not. I, I generally don't like services um, companies, um, but look, it, it seems seems reasonably cheap. Uh, you're getting a three and a half percent yield at the current price, which doesn't seem too bad at all. Um, it's just not. My, my style. So for that, I'm going to I'm going to cop out again and go oh. go for a hold. Okay. Um, it definitely looks cheap. Ten times earnings, uh, decent yield. Uh, it probably suffers from the fate of Slater and Gordon to some extent from a few years back, which was a company that looked amazing on paper uh, and then all of a sudden blew up after a short report and a foray into the UK uh, legal market. I tend to believe that a lot of professional services, whether it's legal, accounting, even stockbroking don't really suit uh, a listed environment, just given the lumpy nature of their businesses. Um, The market's obsessed with seeing repeatable annual growth increases year after year, which often isn't how these companies work. You can still have a very profitable company, even though you don't necessarily grow uh, year after year. And often as well, the shareholder interest isn't necessarily aligned with the client interest because clients want to see you know, settle, settle now, get the cash in the door so you can pay me a dividend when maybe, you know, a court case should be dragged out for two, three, four years. Yeah. When, you know, often it's in the best interest of shells if that case is just settled within six months or so. So I am speaking obviously quite generally there, but that's just some of the, the issues I do have with some of these companies. Um, but look, they seem to be making a, a good fist of it. Often having a, a business which delivers lumpy earnings, regardless of the economic environment, is a great undiversified or, or uncorrelated correlated diversification tool within your portfolio and that could be seen as a reason to hold it but for me that's not a good enough one I don't own it I'm unlikely to ever buy it so I'm going to say sell okay all right um, uh, Michael Michael wants a view on the beta shares Australian dividend harvester 
ETFs, I love their names and their codes that they come up for you think, oh, I'm after dividends. This is going to harvest all the great dividend performers on the market. <laughs> this could be my answer as an income pro, uh, for my income part of the portfolio. Mm. Um, is that what it delivers, uh, Mike says? And is it a good buy for new young investors? Yeah, I mean, this one always looks appealing to the income investor on yeah, paper, it sounds like um, but it's never been a good investment. The yeah. thing is, it, it, it's harvesting well, all the dividends, <laughs> but it's missing out on all the upside and, and all the gains in the market. And I think over a five-year basis, it's flat even after oh. dividends. So they're using all sorts of intricate... Um, so they're not buying stocks that are good dividend payers. Well, they're just a lot of it is financials harvesting just the dividends well, a lot that of, come out of. There's derivative investments as well, which will help yeah. boost up the income. So I think the gross income of the portfolio is like nine percent or so, oh, okay. which is about one and a half, two percent, or two times what the market yes. is, and that's sort of their stated goal. But in order to achieve that in fairly low risk investments such as the banks, um, such as your Woolworths, etc., you got to use different types of derivatives to achieve that. And derivatives are expensive to keep putting on. You know, every time one expires, you've got to put another one on. Yep. And that tends to eat away at a lot of the gains that they're seeing, not only share price, but, but yield over time. So it does pay out a good yield, but then it seems to lose money because they've got to keep burning through the capital to keep placing these transactions. So. For mine, I think you can steer clear of this. Uh, there are other ETFs out there, such as UMAX, and another one for the Australian market, which is basically a, a yield targeting fund, which has a lot more upside potential. So you look at that chart, you can okay, see the that's ASX. a horrible chart in a booming It's basic, exactly right. So you've got all these dividends, but your share price is halved over five years, which is not ideal. So there are other newer options, I think, out there uh, for people to look into where you'll still capture most of the upside with the market. And you might not get eight, nine percent yield, but you might get five, six percent yield, which is still a fair way above where the market is at yeah. the moment. And and get some growth out. Yeah. It's a this is a really good lesson in getting behind what an ETF is all about, is it? Just reading what how its label matches what it actually yeah. does. hundred percent. And and there's a comp there's no free lunch in no. finance or anything, really. And and so if you're gonna get a yield that's what they're targeting one and a half times out of the market, there's a compromise being made somewhere. Yeah. And the compromise is you're missing out on a lot of the capital gains. Um, I think they also do a lot of buying in and out, trying to position themselves ahead of ex-dividend dates and then taking that out. You know, there's a 90-day holding right. period. And there's, there's a lot of nuance and complication around all of that. But so, so in the question there, Mike said something for a young investor. Yeah. And that's what I would pick up. If you're a young investor, absolutely not. not. You know, yeah. you, you are going to, why? Why have it, why get, a, if, if, you're a, if you're a retiree that doesn't really care too much about capital growth, so these guys pay a dividend or distribution monthly. Uh, as Michael okay. said, it is a high yield, but your capital's going nowhere. So if that is your, if that is your goal, then may, I still wouldn't be for me, but I, I yeah. could understand the rationale for it. For anyone else, absolutely not. Um, 45% of the fund is in the banks. Yeah. Uh, so you are hyper, hyper, hyper concentrated in, in that area. And I've been on the record for a while saying I don't think the banks are very good value. I think that's been borne out by what they've delivered yeah. to Shell. I mean, it's it, not that you've lost any money, but you've been left in the dust compared mm. to what the rest of the market has done. Um, and, and I think that's being reflected in what the okay. ETF has done. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pass of me. All right. So, Mike, 
definite no for young investors would might be better if say he wants an ETF for his kids and stuff like yep. to actually go back to the British Nasdaq oh, totally. 100 yeah. ETF yep. which is all the companies that they they would know that run all their social media and streaming services that's where they're invested I would be a better I as a general is this a general generalization but I think if you're going into the ETF space you want the broad index tracking ultra low fee the vanguards that's what you want because what you're guaranteeing yourself there is the average market performance and we know from history that the average market performance is very 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 respectable Um, the more complicated the strategy around the ETF generally speaking there's there's um, it doesn't work Uh, you know so so yeah keep it simple all right the kiss principle um, Alex wants a view, Andrew, on Dubber, the um, cloud-based SaaS uh, business. It's a bit different, though, because it's in um, audio management, is it, and recording, when you hear recorded messages on phones from companies and things like that. Dubber run those. Yeah, and they're, they're world leaders in, in what they do. It's a fascinating yeah. business. It ranks pretty highly on Strawman. It's up about number 24 at the moment. Uh, the valuation there is at, at $3.50 or so. Revenue in the last year, grew 150%. It's up almost four times since 2019. Um, they've got some really good partnerships with some of the biggest telcos yeah. in the world. Cisco. A billion dollars in revenue too. Yeah, it's, it's, lot, it's it? like the, 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 the uh, revenue chart is parabolic. Um, yeah. On a per share basis, it's not as good. But the right. other thing that's interesting is all this top line growth, their losses are widening, which is the one thing that's a concern for me. Now they are they are trying to, to capture as as much as they can of the market and then the idea is that the profitability comes at, at some uh, stage and um, and that's actually not as silly as it sounds that, that's actually a lot of the big tech stories of success stories have done done that kind of thing Amazon probably the best example of that kind of stuff um, and it's cool too because you know there's there's very easy to install you know you don't need to have anything you, you basically if you've got a Cisco system there it comes as a freemium product there right. you get a lot of the stuff and then you can sort of upgrade and get the full functionality of all of that and it's not just call recording as well. It's got a lot of AI and cool stuff around as well. It'll actually produce transcripts for you. It'll even try to measure the sentiment. I'd love to see what the Telstra sentiment uh, reading is, <laughs> having dealt with their call center recently. Um, uh, but, you know, keywords, all of that kind of stuff. And so it's very cool technology, very, very fast top line growth. But yeah, they're just the losses just keep not only just being persistent, but those losses are expanding as well. So, you know, the, the price to sales is 40, I think. So that's up there as well. Um, it's not too bad. Again, for a company that's had, what was it? You know, four time, four X top line growth since 2019, just the last couple of years. That's, that's again, not that silly. So I actually think there's a lot to like about it. I just want to see, I want to see them stop bleeding cash and I want to see them yeah. turn to a profitable business. Because you'd think the bigger the revenue gets, hopefully the marginal cost comes down. Yeah. But they're just adding more and more costs. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, Interesting company. I never come across it before, but it's definitely where that whole telephone industry is heading. It's all moving into the cloud. We're looking at upgrading our systems. We have the the VoIP or whatever, but now you can either go through Microsoft Teams or Zoom and something like this would be easy to bolt on to to that. 
they've just completed the big placements. They've obviously seen the share price has had a good run up and they've taken advantage of that to raise even more money. And the question is, what are they going to do with all that cash? Because they continue to pile money into this business. And to date, as Andrew points out, it hasn't necessarily been ideal how they've used that money because they're not seeing that the reduction in marginal cost. But I mean, for, from my standpoint, the company has you know, a lot of subscribers and a lot of growth in subscriber numbers. Um, they've got improvements in recurring revenue, all those key metrics. So if they can start to, to deliver on that and, and start to see margins improve and start to see a runway or a path to profitability, whether that's in three or five years, or hopefully at least they'll have one in mind, uh, then I think the share price can continue to do well. But I do think given the recent run-up, given the very expensive valuation, I would have to steer clear. Yep, okay. All right, Charlie wants a view on, after Andrew has bagged all the major banks, um, <laughs> wants a view on Macquarie Bank and Macquarie Group. Uh, long-term holder, Charlie is. Um, Michael, Charlie wants to know your view on the latest uh, share purchase pra- uh, plan yep. and should he buy more? Yeah, look, it's one we've held for clients for a long time. It's been a great performer. Um, the actual share purchase plan coming up is at about a dollar ninety-one or something, dollar ninety-two. Uh, the current market price is two hundred. Yeah. Another example, you know, of a company seeing the share price reach the two hundred mark. It's been doing very well. Good opportunity to raise more money to fund their next foray into whatever syndicate or acquisition that they lead. Um, but over the years, it's been a, a terrific perform, not only in share price but growing the income. Um, it's morphed its business model away from being a pure investment bank and markets facing business into a more of a, a fund manager uh, where there's more annuity type income coming through. Um, the thing with Macquarie that I tend to believe is that you do get opportunities to pick it up after a 20-30% fall and then they do happen more often than you think. Like mm-hmm. Andrew pointed out before on the NASDAQ chart, it might look like a small blip now but at the time it was quite a significant yeah. retracement. Yeah. Um, I'm tempted to say buy because we do hold it for so many clients but I would prefer to wait for a market correction. I would, t- I would, look, it's not a huge discount to market price, but I would take advantage of that share purchase plan. Right. Um, it's unlikely that you'll get a huge amount, I must admit, just because lots of people will probably take it up. Um, but it's a very high quality business, more of the, the business model to their benefits. Um, it's a lot easier to predict with certainty now than Macquarie earnings. It's less lumpy and, and bounces around mm. less. But in the end of the day, we are in a pretty frothy market again. If that continues, you can expect the Macquarie share price to do well. If we do go through a, a few turbulent months in financial markets, whenever that is, that will be your opportunity, I think, to pick up Tomorrow Macquarie again. then. Yeah, I mean, it, like, uh, it's a different, it's a different beast to the to the major, <laughs> to names. the big four. Yeah, yeah it's it, really, it really different. is, and and it's it's also one that, as Michael said, I mean, they're just such a uh, smart operator. Yep. You know, um, I think it makes a lot of sense to raise money yeah. at this point in time, buy it back when it's cheap, and, and raise capital when it's when it's uh, expensive. And I think that's probably my only criticism of Macquarie at this stage is it just seems a little bit too pricey. Um, most of our members sort of seem to uh, agree with that. The value that we've got on, on, on the platform is around about $150. So, um, so it's a good distance away at this point in time. Um, very linked to deal flow. And again, so it's going to be one of these ones that is going to naturally be cyclical. But that, did we just see on the chart there before what it got to in uh, the COVID, in the COVID crash? It was 80 yeah. bucks. Yeah. You know, not that you're ever going to know that that's the bottom or whatever, but 
maybe you only got it at 100 yeah, and then you lost another 25 percent yeah. from there picking bottoms is just such a stupid uh yeah. endeavor to try and do because no one can do it but when it's cheap and when when there's blood on the streets these are the kinds of companies that i think you you very closely look yeah. at yeah that's a series we did a couple of weeks ago what to buy in a crash this got this was one of them that um experts were it'll be around for saying, decades yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know and and they'll, they'll be they'll be making good money they're very and smart operators I, 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 I'm always happy to back them but yeah just just for me too expensive so it's a pass okay uh, Alex Andrew wants a view on PWR holdings Alex has bought it at six bucks really like what they're doing wanting to put more into it but would love the opinion of the panel should I wait for another pullback like the recent one they're in uh, cooling systems in motorsports you probably see them on the side of V8 supercars. They do a bit in uh, Formula One, I think. They were the old Peter Warren um, car dealership when it first listed, Peter Warren Ford, um, and recently acquired a big uh, the Penfold Motor Group in uh, in Melbourne as well, which. Uh, has 10 operations and a multi-franchise car dealership. What do you think of PWR? I'm just having an epiphany here that I looked at the wrong stock because I put the different code <laughs> in. So maybe we should go to Michael on this. I thought this was the the dealership one, right? Uh, no, it's, but it's I, not. The racing systems? Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. So I had a bit of a, a read about it and it seems to be doing okay, uh, but it's not Peter Warren Holdings. Uh, right. I can tell you about Peter oh, Warren if you yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we might <laughs> sorry, go to that as well. Sorry. But um, no, it's, it's um, essentially done a very good job in the motorsport industry with their revolutionary technology. Um, yeah. It is V8 supercars and Formula and 1. Yeah, so but, the, but you look at the progression of technology through history, like Jack Bradham and you know McLaren and all those yeah. guys, things tend to evolve pretty quickly. So my fear with a company like this is, will they always be able to stay ahead of the pack? But for now, uh, what they've been delivering seems to be very good across the board. You look at their revenue, cash flows, net profit. Uh, they're moving into sort of clean tech um, when it comes to the, the auto industry, so away from a pure reliance on motorsport. Um, so they've seen very good numbers, but I just, again, have that fear over their long-term ability to sustain any material competitive advantage. Okay. So you'd be getting out of it? I, I would be it. getting out of it after a run like run that. Like but that. I just, yeah. again, I don't know an immense um, uh, immense amount about it. So you've got to take it with a grain of salt. But that's just the, the gut yeah. view that I have after a little bit of research. Andrew? Well, this is very, very rough and ready on the fly uh, research here. Market cap of a billion dollars, PE of 60. Uh, forecasts in there for a little bit of growth. Um, but nothing, uh, nothing eye-watering. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of expectations. Mm-hmm. One of the, I guess one of the, the things, as Michael said, you've got to make sure that you stay on, on the on the cusp of things. But also, um, as we often say on the show, there's 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 absolutely potential to do badly in a really great company yeah. if, if you're paying too much for it. And at first glance, that's what it might look like. But as I said, this is rough and, and ready. Uh, and it's sort of we had this discussion on James Hardy the other day. Um, terrific result has had a fantastic run, but can you expect that sort of run in the next 12 months? And is it time to, you know, lock your profits? Uh, that's a, a double in share price. And uh, uh, will it double again in the next 12 months? So you've got to weigh up the likelihood of whether you think that will happen. If you don't, well, you take your profits and, and look for a stock that 
may do that performance next year. You've got to understand what's driving that share price um, and whether it's something sustainable or whether it's something more one-off in nature. Yeah. And that's, I think, just because something's done well doesn't mean you sell it. Often good news begets further good news, but sometimes valuations just increase because of multiple expansion. And when your multiple's expanding faster than your earnings, often that's a, a bit of a, a risky sign. Yeah, yeah. trees don't grow to the, to the sky. You know, it's yeah. a, so it's, some of these um, tech companies that are out there that actually have a global market that they might have, you know, been growing really, really fast, but still only have 5% of the addressable market, hyperscalable, very capital-like, and then they can look really silly for a while, but then you can, you know, if they even get close to their aspirations, yeah. you can do well. This is James Hardy, it's like cement cladding and this yeah. kind of stuff. So they can have a phenomenal five-year period but it's never going to have that kind of growth so you do you do need to bear that in mind you do need yeah. to understand that it is again a cyclical business nothing wrong with cyclical businesses by the way you just don't buy them at the top of the cycle yeah, just pick the cycle. Oh, earnings are high and multiples are high yeah. and then like when when that falls you get a leveraged decline yeah. Um, so yeah be careful but everybody hates buying at the bottom of the cycle don't they well they get too nervous and that's, that's, that's the why point, there's very right. few Warren Buffetts yeah. out there, <laughs> quite simply for that exact reason. Yeah, yeah. We are talking about it earlier in the week with some of the panels saying, you know, gold's out of favour at the moment. No one wants to buy in. And you go, well, why not? They're, they're all buying Bitcoin, especially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, all right, let's... Um, uh, just recap the final uh, five stocks. Uh, Shine, uh, a hold from uh, from Andrew, a sell from uh, Michael. Peter Share, dividend harvest, a no. Dubber, a no. Um, Macquarie, um, yes, take up the share purchase plan. You're getting it for a bit of a discount, but buy Macquarie on a big pullback and a no from uh, on PWR after a big run up. Uh, maybe take your profits on that. That PWR is in the calls portfolio as well, so it now comes out. Uh, Andrew Page of Strawman. Um, what's rocking the Strawman website? Have, have you noticed a change in temperament? Yeah, no, not really. In trends? No, not particularly. I, I'll be interested to see what's been said about Pushpay when I get back. Um, <laughs> so that, that's that's actually been a very well, actually very profitable one for us over the longer term. But yeah, that's changed. But yeah, other than that, business is usual turning yep. over lots of rocks talking to lots of ceos and trying to find Great. some uh, some alpha as they say uh, and michael wayne from adanian financial uh, what are your clients so we've just look, we look everyone's obviously cautious but it's been such a good run over the last yeah. couple of years um, the economy continues to do very very well we've actually seen multiples in the market come back a, a long way and that indicates earnings been growing faster uh, then the share prices. So look, we're pretty optimistic. Um, obviously, we're cautious, but we don't want to get people too spooked, put it that way. Right, okay. All right, gentlemen, good to see you. Enjoy the rest of the week. Uh, that's it for us for uh, this afternoon. If you want to uh, have us analyse any stocks you're interested in, put them in an email to us, uh, the call at ausbiz.com.au or through Twitter, usually at TV handle. Catch the same time tomorrow for the call. <laughs> 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.